Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight. Uh, we'll get into our uh, lesson about making, uh, um, if you will, some productive change in our lives. Um, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that we have. Thank you again, Lord, for your word that gives us instruction and gives us the guidance that we need in our lives. Lord, to please you, to honor you, to give you praise and glory for everything that you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray that as we continue to look at this process and we continue to get uh, in-depth with it, that, Lord, you would clearly show us uh, why each one of these steps is important, uh, that skipping them uh, creates problems, that uh, uh, going outside of uh, your will creates even greater issues, um, and that, Lord, we would just endeavor to f- just endeavor to do your will, Lord, uh, by following this whenever anything is pointed out in our lives as being uh, uh, in need of change or a behavior or a thought or words or a heart attitude, whatever it may be, Lord, that it would be something that uh, we seek to please you with all of it. Pray, Lord, you'd be with me tonight to just give me strength to uh, um, get through this. I pray, Lord, you'd be with each one of our hearts. They'd be soft, tender, ready to receive And all of this I ask and pray in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week we we kind of, uh, you know, talked a a bit about some of the the conviction part, wrapped up some of that, um, and uh, actually kind of couldn't remember whether or not I was mentioning some things about conviction, but it is one of, or excuse me, confession, it's one of those things that, that is very important. It's an important part of the corrective process. You go through the rebuke process, you go through the reproof process, you go through conviction, and then there comes a point of where there's a confession. And I want to take a look at a couple of passages. Um, you know, obviously, 1 John 1, 9 is one of the first ones that pops up uh, when we talk about confession, because that's what he talks about specifically there. He says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to uh, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is an important principle. We have to get into the uh, pattern of confessing our sins, uh, going to God and, uh, you know, uh, addressing it with him, uh, not going to a little, uh, you know, uh, a booth and, and confessing it to a man or doing it in, you know, over a telephone or something of that nature. Um, now, obviously, when there's issues where we have uh, wronged somebody, we've done a sin against somebody, uh, there should be a confession towards that individual admitting it and, and, and coming out and saying, I, you know, I've sinned against you, I've done wrong against you, and, and outlining it. But confession should be part of who we are on a day-to-day basis. We should be ready to confess sins. When we receive that uh, biblical rebuke and reproof and conviction from the Holy Spirit, we should be ready to say, I have sinned. Uh, that, that is an important part of the process. Uh, if, if a person goes through that, uh, that whole thing, but still will not admit to what they have done is, or what they have done is sinful, there's still a problem with the heart. There's still a problem with the way that a person is thinking. So, let's turn to a couple of passages. Let's go over to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll start there, uh, um, just taking a look a little bit at this issue of confession. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 
Here we have Saul, who has been made king. Uh, he has uh, begun to move away from the Lord. Uh, he has uh, uh, filled himself with some pride and some arrogancy. Uh, we find here in this passage, uh, obviously he was doing exactly uh, the opposite of what God told him to do. Uh, God told him to wipe out a certain people. He refused to do that. Uh, but uh, here we are looking at this passage, and in verse uh, 24, I want you to see what Saul says. Uh, Saul said uh, unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, now here, here's part of the issue. He goes into the process of asking Samuel to ask forgiveness of God on his behalf, which again, you know, just clearly identifies there was a major problem with Saul's life. There was a major problem with him just even having a conversation with God. But what we clearly see here is he, he, he does go through that process of where he says, I have sinned. I have transgressed. Um, and, and he even goes into the process of why he did it. The, the, the wrong motive behind it. Uh, what drove him to that sin? Uh, he feared the people. He didn't fear God. He feared the people. And there was a big issue. There's a, that's a huge issue. Let's take a look a little bit at uh, David's life here. And I want to show uh, a little bit of a, a comparison. But what we see here is he, he's admitting to Samuel. Saul is admitting to Samuel. He's confessing to Samuel. He's not confessing to God. That's Saul's problem. So let's go over to Psalm chapter 32. Let's see some of these things that that uh, the psalmists and David write about in Psalm 32. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 32, and uh, let's take a look at verse 5. Verse 5, after he's talked about all of these issues that he's going through, some physical things, uh, some physical problems of trying to hide sin and how it comes out uh, horribly wrong. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Well, who is this he's talking to? This is the Lord. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So we see here that he's already beginning to set a biblical pattern. He's going to God first. So even when we get into a process where we've wronged somebody, we have to realize that the first person that we violated in that uh, sinful act, in that iniquity and transgression, was God. He, we, it was God's law. We broke his word. We, we we violated his standard. Before we did anything that was against the other person, that's what we have to understand. We have to go to God first. And we find we're going to find that over there in Psalm chapter 51 when David sinned with Bathsheba against Uriah, he admits first and foremost that his main issue was with God, not necessarily with Uriah or Bathsheba, but it was with God. And therein lies the issue. You can sit and go and, 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 and confess your sins to man all day long, but if you never address it with God, you're never going to get it taken care of. You're just going to spin your wheels in the mud, and you're just going to create more of a problem in your life. 
So what we see here is we see him acknowledging it and then confessing it. Acknowledging and confessing. Turn to chapter 38, Psalms. Chapter 38, a couple pages over. And uh, take a look here at uh, verse 18. Verse 18, he says, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. There is an important part when we start just talking about repentance, about what that means. We start talking about uh, repentance, godly sorrow worketh uh, uh, repentance, that that is an important principle for us to understand. But here he's saying in verse 18, he says, I will declare my iniquity. What's the first thing that happens when we sin and we get convicted? How can I cover this thing up? What does every politician do? They get caught. What do they do? How can I cover this thing up? Who can I blame? Who, who can I throw under the bus? Who, 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 who can I make responsible for what I've done so I don't have to take the responsibility for it? Well, David here is making it pretty clear. He's saying that's not the case. He's saying, I'm going to declare it. And, and that's a big thing. That's a big thing to say, I will declare my iniquity. You, you, you're going to the Lord and, and you're specifically saying to him, uh, Lord, I'm not going to try to hide it. And by the way, don't ever try to hide anything from God. You know what, that's one of the most futile things in the world that anybody could ever possibly try to do. Uh, you know, we can try to hide it from man all we want, but you're never going to hide it from God. I mean, what does number 32 say? Be sure your sin will find you out. It, it, it And it will come out in an ugly way, in a way that you don't want, in a way that, that, that may be, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, embarrassing, shameful. Well, then it does. But when we go to the Lord and we just say, well, I'm going to declare my iniquity, I'm going to let God handle this. Then we let God handle it. We have to declare it, not 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 tr- not go through the process of covering up, because He says if you try to cover it up over there in the Book of Proverbs, you're just not going to prosper. It's not going to yield what you think it will yield. You, we we think that if we cover our sins and we cover our tracks really well, that we'll be able to continue to prosper. But the problem is, is it just eats at us, and in certain cases can cause physical symptoms. Can cause physical symptoms. Uh, if a person holds on to a sin so long and they refuse to be repentant of it, if that person is constantly being convicted of the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? That person will wind up getting sick. They'll get sick. They won't feel good. Their tummy will be upset. You know, you go through some of the ways that he describes himself in Psalm 32. Um, in Psalm 51, you, you see he's talking about roaring of bones. He's talking about uh, just, uh, you know, if you will, general malaise, feeling horrible, um, a, you know, rottenness in his bones, all of these things that you're looking at. You know, uh, you know, it's as if his body is in a drought, as he's referred to. It uh, is no moisture. 
I mean, everything. It, it, it sounds like a horrible, horrible, horrible disease and sickness. But that's what happens when we try to conceal sin. Why? Because sin is a cancer and sin will eat you from the inside out. It will spiritually destroy you. We, we have to realize that. We have to realize that. When we turn over Psalm 51, which is again a, another counseling go-to passage when we start talking about what happens when conviction has been received and a person re- begins to realize, oh man, I messed up. You know what they have to, to say here? This is, should be the response. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O, o God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's already starting to take ownership. Mine. Mine. And in verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know what he realizes? I can't run from this. I can't run from this. I, I I can't begin to tell you how many times I've counseled people, don't ever try to run from your sin. You want to know why? Because you might get away from it for about three months. But I guarantee you this, you know what happens? It comes back with friends. You think you've, you, you've cleaned out that house, you've swept it and you've kept it clean, and it comes back and you're in a worse state than you were before. And it, it, it's a problem. Now, three months is just a kind of an average timeline. Uh, you know, when we get over there to David, David thought he got away with it scot, uh, you know, uh, uh, scot free. Um, you know, nine months of a pregnancy and the child's alive and everything like that. And then finally, you know, here comes Nathan. Thou art the man. He thought he ran from it that long. Thought he got away with it. God's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. But we, as we continue on here, as he acknowledges it, and he realizes that it's a, it's a problem, it's ever before him, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. He, 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 he's, he's taking the ownership here. This is what part of confession is about. It's not just saying, hey, you know, oh man, I'm sorry. That's not confession. Yeah, I hate your car. No, that's, there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it. Confession is, first and foremost, as we've seen in these few passages, understanding its sin. That's one of the biggest things. You know, conviction comes, and a lot of times people will will try to justify at that point. Conviction comes and they will try to justify their actions and try to justify it as, well, it wasn't that bad or it was needful or it really wasn't sin. If you have to do that in any of your thought processes, let that be a red flag. That's sinful. What you've done is sin. If you're sitting there having to justify it, now look, if you, if you've done nothing wrong, your good will justify it. God will handle that, won't he? I mean, you know, Mike's talking about Joseph. Joseph stand up there and justify? 
No. God handled the situation for him, right? God took care of it. But what do we find? We find a lot of people just going out there and, 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 and saying, uh, well, you know, it's not that bad when you compare it to what this other person has done. Well, yeah, of course, everybody's going to look like a saint if you compare yourself to Judas. You compare yourself to the devil, yeah, you're going to look like a stellar, absolutely amazingly clean baby. But what does God say about our righteousness? Filthy rags. So we can't justify ourselves. So the first part of confession is, number one, understanding it's sin. We realize it's sin. Now we understand it's sin, and we are the ones that committed it. We we take ownership of it. And part of it is also understanding this, that first and foremost when it comes to confession, is understanding it's against God. It's against God. You violated God's standard. That's the problem. You went outside of his will. That's the problem. Therein is where we get ourselves into trouble, right? And when we begin to realize, okay, I, I realize it's sin, and if it's if I call it sin, iniquity, transgression, then I am going to be the one that has to say it was against God because any sin that I commit is against Him. That's, uh, if you will, a simple uh, 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 youth group definition of sin. You went against God's word. And part of this is, again, the admission. As we see with all of these things, it's an acknowledgement. It's an admission. We see the difference between Saul and and, and uh, David here. David is is confessing and acknowledging and admitting to God. Uh, Saul was over there admitting it to Samuel, asking him, Samuel, to pray for Saul for forgiveness from God. What's the matter with you, Saul? You're king of Israel. Go to him yourself. You don't think he's going to listen to a repentant heart if you bow down on the ground and fall flat on your face and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner? Oh, God will listen to that. He's promised that. Brokenness and contriteness is what he wants to see. And this is part of that confession process, is understanding. you got to break yourself. Confession means you got to break you gotta, you gotta come forward. And that's a tough thing to do. You know, it, it's a situation of, uh, you know, way, 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 way back when, and I'm probably dating myself here with this one, uh, you know, back in the days when they actually printed real newspapers. You remember on Sunday, what did we always have? We had the Sunday comics, right? In full color, too. And me and my brother, we'd, we'd each get, you know, one certain page, and then we'd read that and then hand it over the other page to, you know, we, we had to be nice and share like that, you know. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I, I remember there's always this one, and I, I'm sure if I say it, everybody's going to understand. You remember Family Circus? 
And some of the young kids are like, what? <laughs> Although I saw Silas back there, and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he knows what I'm talking about. And and what happens? You know, here comes the mom, here comes the dad. Who did this? And what, what was it always blamed on? Not me. And it was this little ghost-like kid that would have seemed to, like, you know, be causing mischief and things like that. It was not me that did it. That's not confession. Confession is where we stand there and we say, it was me. I'm the one that did it. You know, the, the, that whole thing, that uh, total facade of, uh, or not facade, but fabrication of, uh, of uh, you know, George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down the cherry tree. Never happened. <laughs> Never happened. It's like you're sitting there, you just ruined all my history as I grew up as a child. I was taught it too. And I was like, never, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but, but, but again, you know, the principle is, is to admit where we're wrong. To actually admit that. And that takes a huge thing. To step up and say, it was me. Who broke the relationship? It was me. Who's the one that sinned? It was me. Who's the one that uh, created the mess? It was me. We have to. Say, we have to say that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Right. So this is this is again where we go back to that concept. And you know what? It also means it means we accept a responsibility. We accept the responsibility. David accepted the responsibility. Saul didn't want to accept the responsibility in for Samuel 15. What did he want to do? Well, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose the kingdom. All of a sudden, he turns into, you know. And it's like, really? And he gets hateful and vengeful against David. Tries to kill him allows an evil spirit to influence him. Wow. Pretty dark. But what we find is, is when we accept responsibility, yeah, does that mean that things are going to be found out? Yeah. Are we going to have to make some reparations? Yeah. Why? Because that's part of the the process. That's part of the restoration and reconciliation and repentance part. I mean, all of those things that, that, that we do, you, you, you have to accept the responsibility and say, this is, this is, this is on me. Perfect example of what not to do. Genesis 3. It's the woman you gave me. It's the serpent you created. The only one that seemed to accept responsibility was the serpent. Because he knew exactly what he was doing. He deliberately did that. So we begin to see that confession is an important part. Now again, I want to I want to emphasize it's a part. Saul confessed, but he was missing a lot of other parts. Judas repented, but he was missing a lot of other parts. 
And, and that's kind of where we're going to start going into this because as we move to the next stage, after we've gone through this rebuke, reproof, conviction, confession, and now we're at the part of, okay, now, now things have got to be set right. You can't just sit there and go, oh, yep, yeah, I was the one. Yep, I did it. It's all me. <laughs> See you later. I'm out of here. Doesn't work that way. Stuff has to be done. In a relationship, trust is broken. Trust has to be repaired. You have to repair it. And there is a process of restoring that trust. And you know what doesn't restore trust? Continuation in sin. That doesn't restore trust. So we begin to realize if we're going to go through the reconciliation process, then we're going to have to do a few things. We're going to have to make some wholesale changes. We're going to have to uh, really get into the nuts and bolts of what we need to do. And the very first step of the, recon- you know, the, I should say, sub-step of the reconciliation process is this issue of repentance. Now, I, I'm, I'm looking at the time already, and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how far I'm going to get with this, because repentance is a big subject. And the reason why it's a big subject is because people have misconceptions about repentance. They don't, they don't understand the word. Um, you know, they think because it has an RE at the front again, it's something that's done again. Well, just because something, just because a word has RE at the front of it doesn't mean that it is something that you have to do again. You're not penting again. (laughs) It's, uh, it's different. Got to understand our, our English language is taken from multiple different languages. Understanding Latin and Proto-Indian, um, English, Old English, Middle English, Germanic, uh, Spanish even thrown in there, all sorts of stuff, French, Old French, and it's all different. It gets thrown in there, so we've got to be careful with understanding what the words mean. Now again, we can always go back to good old uh, Noah Webster and try to figure it out from an 1828 dictionary. Problem is, is Noah Webster's dictionary is not inspired by the Word of God. He may use the Word of God in it, but it's not inspired and it's not preserved. It's not perfect. It's not inerrant. So if we want a definition of what repentance is, we've got to take a look at it from Scripture. So let's start off with the very first part where it shows up, and let's go all the way over to Genesis chapter 6. And people get this idea that uh, repentance always involves sin. And anytime somebody says, well, repentance is turning away from sin. No, that is an incorrect definition. That is an incorrect definition. Because when God repents, then you just told me that God sinned. If God sinned, we've got some pretty serious problems. That means we're still on our way to, 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 to the lake of fire. It means God's lied. There, there, there's a lot of implications about that. So we have to be very careful with how we define things. So we take a look at this in, in Genesis chapter 6, and if you're familiar with your Bible, you know Genesis chapter 6 is that, you know, the, 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 the first part of this uh, earth that God has 
given us, we start running into issues where it's just filled with violence. Uh, they're doing uh, evil continually. Um, we find it here in verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that, it, uh, that every every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So if we use the definition that repentance is to turn away from sin, then basically we just said that God created man in sin as a sinful act. That's not what the verse said. We can't put that in there. So we automatically, right out of the gate, we realize that repentance means something maybe a little bit different than what we thought it was. So we see this passage here. That's one of the ones. And we see in verse 7, and it says, Then the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from uh, the face of the earth, both uh, a man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. I've had people argue and say, well, that's just how Moses was describing it. No, God just admitted it. That he was going to repent. Uh, I'm going to bring a couple of more verses up about this because I want us to see some things. Let's go over to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. This is all in a purpose of defining the word repentance. Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 32 and verse 11, and it says, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord... Why doth thy, uh, thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Wherefore, uh, should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. So do we honestly think that Moses was confronting God about sin? No, he didn't. He didn't. Because again, we have to understand what the word evil means. All evil is not sinful. It may be brought about by sin, as God was going to cause evil to the Ninevites and evil to the people here, because of their sin. Because of their sin. So we have to be very careful with these definitions and what we start thinking about. Uh, let's go to... Um, let's take a look at, back over at 1 Samuel 15. Let's kind of segue into it this way. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's go back there. Again, context, Saul was supposed to destroy Amalek. He didn't. He spares Agag and the best of the animals. And, um, and God obviously, uh, says, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to reject you because of your disobedience to the word. And, uh, so, so we understand the context of here. We were seeing a little bit about what Saul's heart is, but I want us to jump down to verse 35. In verse 35, it says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul unto the day of his death. 
Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. So, do we think that God made the wrong choice with Saul? Or do we think that Saul made his own choice? Well, we're not Calvinists or Reformed theologists. So we don't believe that God forces man to sin. So what we see here is we see, okay, maybe I need to change how I view the word repentance. Let's take a look at another one in the same passage and look at verse 29. And I want to introduce this. It says, and the strength of Israel, notice it's capital S, so who's that talking about? It's talking about God, it's talking about the Lord. Will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So now we begin to see God introducing this subject. This is why it's important to do line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, comparing Scripture with Scripture. And we find that the word repentance can have a bit of a different meaning than what is often thought of and has a meaning that may be a little dualistic in nature. Let me explain this. Go over to the book of Numbers. Well, where where was that, uh, that subject that was just said there learned? Well, you go over to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 23, we find where it was first said. Numbers chapter 23 in verse 19, it says God doesn't repent. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son, uh, the son of man that he should repent. Now, I'm going to read the rest of it because it becomes important. It says, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and he shall not make it good? So Genesis chapter 6 just said God repented. First Samuel 15 said God repented. Exodus chapter 32, Moses is asking God to repent. You go over there to Jonah chapter 4, and what does it say? God repented. Now these two verses just flat out said God doesn't repent. And this is where I will always mention this, and I will always say this till the day I die. You gotta look at the context. I can pull one verse out of scripture and I can make it say something that it doesn't say. I can pull those verses out of context and I can make it look like God is actually a sinner. And that is a blasphemy. Cause he's not. He is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He doesn't make mistakes. It's not like God's sitting up there and going, Oh, good grief, Ken Stewart did that. Oh, I didn't see that one. Oh, oh. No, it doesn't work that way. Humans, but not God. So what we see here is we see that there's a context to the word repentance that is important. God is not going to repent of sin because why? He doesn't sin. In the two verses in 1 Samuel 15, 29, and in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, what do we have? We have the discussion of a sinful act lying. 
God doesn't need to repent of lying because he doesn't lie. Why? Because he is truth. Jesus Christ said, thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So we see very clearly that anything that is truth, which we already established when we started talking about doctrine in this corrective process and why that's important and why you cannot have a lie included in this corrective process. Otherwise, it's just going to create more of a problem. But what we find here is we find that God is showing us that the context of that word matters. Kind of like wine, right? Context of the word matters. Context of the word matters. Let's take a look at another a couple of passages. Uh, I want you to go over to uh, Exodus 13. And again, this is a, a principle of showing that repentance isn't exactly what we always think it is. We get taught this, you know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Okay, context. There's a word in that verse that's important. What is that word? Sin. So here in Numbers chapter 13, I want you to take a look here at, uh, let me take a look at my notes, uh, verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the uh, people go that God led them not through the land or way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Meaning God said, oh, we're not going to take the short route. We're going to take the scenic route, guys. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, you'll get that. There is no scenic route. It's like, oh, look, sand. Oh, look, sand. Anyways, <clears throat> he says there, uh, it says, For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God doesn't want Israel to repent? There's a few books of the Bible that are solely dedicated to that one whole, if you will, principle that Israel needs to repent. John the Baptist comes in and what is he saying? Repent. Jesus Christ's ministry begins with what? Repent to the nation of Israel. So we, we see here, we got to be careful with that word. Does God not want them to repent? Well, war will cause repentance, by the way. It will cause it in, you know, if war is brought about through bondage and sin and everything else that's going on, it can bring people and it can humble people. The book of Judges, right? So when we take a look at this context, God doesn't want them to repent. No, he doesn't want them to turn back to Egypt. And I want you to understand what I just said there. He doesn't want them to turn. Repentance deals with that word. It has to. Not a matter of changing of a mind, but a turning. Repentance always involves a turning away from something and a turning 
towards something. In this case, if they engaged the Philistines who were just, I mean, they were nasty. You want to talk about warriors? Some of their tactics are still studied today, and their brutality was just on a historical level that was unmatched. These people were sick. This is why God didn't want them to continue in the land. They would pollute it because of their their wickedness. But he says, I don't want them to engage. They're not ready for that. You know, there's a lot of comfort in that verse 17. I have always found a lot of comfort in that verse. God will sometimes lead you through the long route, and it may take longer, but the reason he's doing it is because you're not ready for the shortcut. I love that passage. So if it takes longer, okay, Lord, you know what's best. You know the way. You don't want me engaged in whatever conflict may come. Let's not be headstrong and go, well, I'm going to charge through it anyways. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't end well. Why? What happens? You go back to Egypt. You go back into bondage. There's a problem. There's a problem with that. Take a look over at uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14. Now we begin to start seeing how this definition is forming. Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel in his very unique ministry, praise God he had it, not me. The man of a thousand sermon illustrations. (laughs) Um, Ezekiel, (coughs) excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh, Take a look at what he says here in uh, verse 6. He says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Now this is what he wants. Specifically, he's saying, You're heading this way. You're looking at this I want you to turn away from that. I don't want you looking at that. I want your head positioned differently. I want your body positioned differently. Specifically here, he's saying, I want your heart positioned differently. I want it away from those things. But he wants it towards him. This is what he desires for Israel. This is what he desires for everybody. So this is where it becomes very critical when we start talking about making change, where why repentance is so important. Because we actually have to forsake this, the sin. And we have to cleave to that which is good, God. Take a look at another passage. Let's go over to the book of Acts this time in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. (laughs) 
And uh, let's take a look here at uh, verse um, 21. <clears throat> here is uh, a little bit about Paul's ministry, a uh, charge that he's uh, uh, giving here um, to the elders at Ephesus in verse 17 as uh, kind of the context of it. We get down here about what he's uh, what he's been doing, and he says in verse 20, And know how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith always has an object. Repentance always has an object. If it does not have an object, it's not repentance. That's when it becomes unfruitful works of darkness. Because it's not genuine. It's pharisaical. And we want to avoid pharisaicalism. We want to avoid things that are, 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 if you will, on the outside only. We want an inward affection of heart, not an outward change of a garment. We want an inward change of attitude. We don't want an outward demonstration that is feigned and fake. We want the real deal. We want the real deal. So as we take a look at this here, he makes it very clear. He's saying, I told the Jews and the Gentiles that they needed to what? Repent toward God. Repentance towards God. Turn towards God. That's what he wanted. The Jews weren't going after God. They were going after themselves. The Greeks were going after themselves. Why? Because they loved wisdom. Yeah, they had a ton of other idols out there that, and, and, and gods and things of that nature that they worshipped and stuff like that. But they were also, if you will, a very humanistic society. And so were the Romans. And by the way, you want to know why the Greeks were conquered by the Romans? Because the Greeks went into humanism. That's why the Greek Empire failed. Because they sought after the Babylonish woman, if you will, humanism. So we find this uh, uh, in this passage here. Uh, turn over to chapter 26. Chapter 26 in verse 20. <clears throat> let's, let, let's, get, let's get a definition. See, if you dig long enough and you study to show yourself approved unto God, God will reveal it to you. Yeah. But if you're just going to go picking and choosing and cherry picking and so on and so forth and then go well why why is my doctrine wrong well it's probably cuz god isn't talking to you Amen. yeah take a look at what he says here in verse uh, um uh, verse uh, 20 he says but showed first unto them of damascus and at jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent 
and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. And this is an interesting concept. When somebody repents, and as part of the reconciliation process, this is why repentance is so important, you want to demonstrate that you've repented. You want to demonstrate that you have turned away and forsaken that sin and you don't want it anymore. Take an example of when there's an affair in a marriage, adultery. You just call it what it is, sin. The act of adultery that has been committed. That spouse, guess what? Do you know what they're not going to want? They're not going to want you to sit there and go, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I know, right? It, it is sin. I'm sorry I did that. Yeah, I know I sinned, but I'm going to still keep their number. I'm still going to text them. Is that okay? If you're the other spouse, the answer, let me just help you with that. No. It is not okay. You know what it is? It's sin. That's not works meet for repentance. It's not something that's showing and demonstrating and helping somebody grow. That You know what that is? That's just, if you will, shallow. Surface level. No. You, 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 you want it gone. You want that thing erased. You want that person out of it. I mean, you don't want them having contact with that person. Why? Because you don't want that affection to still be towards that person. You want that affection towards you in a marriage. That's what you desire. Unless you got one of those sick Portland marriages. That's whatever. Nowadays, they've got all these things of you can include like 50 people in your marriage and it's okay. No, it's not. Anyways, we're not going to talk about Portland. But what does he say there? He says, repent and turn to God. In the act of repentance, you're always going towards a specific object. In this case, again, it's God. I want you to see what it looks like when somebody repents without the right object. We, we, we go over there and we talk a little bit about it with Jonah and we say, well, Jonah, uh, we say that the Ninevites repented because that's what the Bible says. It says God repented. And we kind of go, well, Jonah kind of repented. Mm. Mm. Eh, maybe. But let's take a look at a good example. Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. And uh, uh, here's the crucifixion. Uh, Here's the trial. It says uh, in verse 1, it says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas. 
which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Uh, thanks for the compassion. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Further description later on is that when he hanged himself and he was dead, the branch snapped and he fell and burst asunder. Yeah. That doesn't sound good at all. And then it says he went to his place. I don't know what that means, but that's scary. Okay? Did he repent as his turning away from the sin towards God? Did his works prove that? No. Previous chapter, Peter is confronted with his denial of Christ. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly, right? Weeps bitterly. But what do we have here? We have him upset. This isn't what we talked about. This isn't what we planned. And here's the thing. The devil entered into Judas at one point in time because Judas let the devil in. Because of sin that had existed previously that was unconfessed. And because of that, he was manipulated and used of the devil, willingly, to betray Christ. And at the end of it, when the devil's done, you're on your own. Right? Where's the devil to care for him now? Man, he was the shoe-in. He was the, 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 the kingpin. He was the... You know, the linchpin, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to throw in there. I mean, he was vital to the plan, right? He's one of those guys that's like, oh man, he's important. And, and, and the devil's just like, Pleh. and here are these individuals that are being used to the devil. Almost, if you will, to, to my, in my mind, it's almost as if, the devil said it himself, and I know it was the chief priests that said it, when they said, what is that to us? Like the devil's like, what's that to you, to, to me? Oh, you're strung out on heroin. What's that to me? You made a mess of your life. You're at the bottom of the barrel and you're in the gutter. What's that to me? You think he cares? He he didn't repent fully. Now, it says he repented. But he didn't repent in a godly way. Meaning that there is a repentance that is of the flesh. Yeah. Repented himself. Himself. Self. 
It's about, it was all about him. He didn't like the way he felt because now he's betrayed innocent blood. Too late. Too late. So we see there, there's a big issue. I want to turn to two, uh, man, I want to turn to two more passages and we've got some time. I want to turn to Jeremiah 18 and Romans 2. Romans 2 and Jeremiah 18. <clears throat> and I want to end with this. And this again is to kind of get that definition going where repentance is to turn away so that you can turn towards. Because you can't head two directions at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Jeremiah chapter 18. <clears throat> I want you to see this. God says, if I, if it do evil in my sight, that uh, it not obey my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. So, Jeremiah 18.10, again, points out and emphasizes this. It's a turning away from something. God's saying he's going to repent from good. Now, we always think repent from evil, repent from sin. God says he's going to turn away from good. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it for you anymore. I'm going to turn you over to the destruction of the flesh. I'm going to turn you over to Satan. That type of stuff. That's a dark place to be. Romans 2. Romans chapter 2. And and I want to point this out when it comes to repentance. And this is important. It has to deal a little bit with the definition. But we always think about repentance when it comes to an issue of we got caught. But I want you to see something. You know what else can really bring out the repentance in somebody? Verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. How good has God been to you? When you turn and you say, God's been so great to me, I am not going to pursue that. I'm not going to go after that. I'm not going to have that affect my heart. I am going to be led to repent because of how good God is. Makes full circle back over there to Psalm 51 when he said, Have mercy, thy loving kindness. David knew how good God was. God knew how good God is. God knew how good God would be. And that's what we have to begin to realize.
when we are not repentant the way we're supposed to be, we are despising what God gave us. Dangerous territory. Dangerous territory. The next week we'll talk a lot more about this. We'll get over in the book of James, James 18. We'll start talking about 218. We'll start talking about that. We'll start seeing exactly what it encompasses, get into a little bit more, if you will, nuts and bolts and, and details about that. But I want us to get to a point of where we realize exactly what repentance is about. We'll actually take a look at an example of somebody else that repented. But again, sometimes when you're just repenting without God involved in it, it's too late, just like Judas. But I'll know, I know this. When we're dealing with the sins that we have done, we can repent, we can turn to God, but there's still going to be those consequences. That's part of the reconciliation process too. You've got to accept the consequences. You have to accept the consequences. We'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, and thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Thank you again for your <coughs> for your word that guides and directs and teaches us. Pray, Lord, that as uh, we've looked at uh, some uh, so the subject matter of confession and uh, just beginning to broach the subject matter of repentance, that Lord, you would just continue to use what we've learned tonight. Uh, use it in our hearts, Lord, that we would glorify you and that we would praise you and that we would do your will, all in a manner, Lord, to please you because of how great a God you are to us. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray you take us home safely, bring us back again on uh, Sunday, Lord, that we can come worship and praise and uh, learn of you. And I ask and I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.